from Relay FM. This is Upgrade episode 446. Today's show is brought to you by Ladder, ExpressVPN, and Fitbot. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. I'm Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm very good. In lieu of small talk, as we do every week, we'll begin yes. today's episode of a Snell Talk question. Mm-hmm. John wants to know, Jason, what was your favorite game on the original Macintosh? I have a lot of favorites from the original Macintosh. I played a lot of games on the, well, original Macintosh is not quite right. I had a Mac SE, but like, you, I, know what, I know what John means here. Like mm-hmm. back in the day, right when I first got a Mac, what were, what were my favorite games? Um, uh, and when I was thinking about this, I thought about like there's Shuffle Puck Cafe, which where you use the mouse as a, as a paddle to play uh, air hockey against an AI opponent. It was pretty, it was pretty great. And also a good use of the, the, the mechanism of having a mouse to basically replicate the, the movement of the, of the puck mm. or of the, of the, of the little, not the puck of the, the little uh, thing that you use, little plastic thing that you use to hit the puck. It, Cause the mouse was that. And so it was, there was sort of a one-to-one relationship. I love, love that. Um, SimCity. Played a lot of SimCity and SimCity 2000 a, a lot hmm. of that. Um, it was also kind of soothing. I get the same vibe from uh, Mini Motorways and um, yes. Mini Metro. Okay, they're very very similar in that they're what, even though there is a, a little more. I mean, there's gameplay in both, but it's also just sort of like soothing and chill, and and um, and you can actually just put it in <laughs> endless mode if you want to. Um, but the answer here. The, the the single game I may have spent the most time playing in my lifetime is still probably Tetris. So that's my answer. Tetris. Oh, okay. Spectrum Holobyte, uh, official license from the Soviet Union. There was no intellectual property. Alexei Pajitnov, who wrote Tetris, never saw, didn't see money from Tetris for like a decade when it was the most popular game in the world. But uh, it's totally Tetris. Um I love Tetris. To this day, I love it. I have a Tetris on my uh, playdate, in fact. Uh, but but for me, as a Mac Tetris person, in fact, the that that um, that five twelve Mac that I have the uh, the floppy emu on that has the so I can boot it and play stuff from the old days. Uh, it boots to a, a a disc that has Tetris on it. Um, you know, J J K. What was it? J K L I. For the movement and the space bar to drop is just, it's burned in my brain. It's in there. Tetris. There was, my uncle had a, a Mac of some description. Like I was a young, young kid, uh, like single digit age. I remember this. I, I don't know what Mac it was, but I know that it was green on black, right? So I assume it was just a Mac, right? Like an original Mac of some description. And he had a golf game. I don't know what game this was, right? But like, that is like a big early memory for me. Like it was just the the game was just like green on black, some kind of golf game. I used to play this a lot when I visited his house. Mm-hmm. So that I, that's all I know. I have tried many times to try and find this one, like, but I don't know what it was. Like, it, it's complicated. Did you ask John Syracuse? No, he might know. He might. I know. don't. I don't remember. I do. I remember. Um, and back then, you know, without the internet and stuff. You ended up with, so I discovered the Mac at college. And so people with Macs at college, first off, lots of people didn't have Macs at college, right? But there were people with Macs at college. And when you would find the person with a Mac at college, you would find like what 
games or what discs they had, right? And what games they had. And and you would discover, you'd be like, I have never even heard of this. And there would be, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere in my brain there's lodged a golf game that I saw and I was like, oh, golf on a computer. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, that was never one that I copied or whatever. I mean, by which I mean bought, I don't mean bought. Copied the students. idea and then went to a store and bought it. Is what you meant. Yeah, that's totally what I meant. I mean, when I say pirate, I mean more of a privateer, really. Um, anyway, yes, uh, those are the games. Uh, and then uh, in my college uh, newspaper office, we were we actually were networked, and so we played. There was a game called NetTrek, also not licensed by uh, from Star Trek, but they used some of the art. Uh, and sound effects, but it was a network uh, space battle game, basically, and uh, and then Spectre, which was a network tank game that came a little bit later, but mm. but NetTrek was something we played because it was the idea that everybody got on. I mean, it was really just an amazing moment. That was our fir- most of us. That was the first it networked gaming experience where we're in different rooms in the office, flying our little spaceship around, trying to destroy the other people's spaceships. And uh, that that right that was just a revelation. Whenever you 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 know did that for the first time in that era, you remembered like, oh, this is going to be a thing. This is a big deal to be able to be on your different computers and play against uh, your friends. It was pretty great. I think Apple's making like a Tetris movie. Uh, yes, I think that's yeah. true. I still like I don't really know much about it other than it's happening. I think I want to leave it that way <laughs> for now, you know, and just like I just want to see what that ends up being when 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 it comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's about like Alexei Pajitnov making Tetris, but I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm going to assume that it's it's like an animated movie, and it's well, all, wasn't all there the already? There was pieces. already wasn't there a already like a Tetris movie that was like. <laughs> Big Who blocks are coming from the sky or something. I don't know. I Is don't that know. Battleship? There was a Battleship movie, yes. Mm. If you would like to send in a question to help us open an episode of Upgrade in the future, just send in a Snell Talk question by going to UpgradeFeedback.com. Thank you to everybody that has. I have some follow-up, uh, which is that I am now on Mastodon, Jason. I have joined the Don. Um, I'm, I'm hanging out with everybody else now on Mastodon. So you can come follow me. I have set up my own instance, as it seems to be the cool thing all my friends are doing, at mike.social. Yep. Join us. Uh, I am imike on mike.social, so you can come follow me there. Uh, there's a couple of reasons, like in a nutshell, like I won't belabor the point. Uh, I wanted to have somewhere where I could talk about all the various things that I'm doing, about bringing these things to all of my various shows, right? So it gives me a place to talk about what I'm up to. Uh, and also, like, everyone's there right now, and it seems like a lot of fun, and it has that vibe. It, it Mastodon right now has the early Twitter vibe. There are all these apps, and, like, loads of stuff's happening, and I kind of feel like I'm missing out um, on something cool that's happening in our corner of the world. I to help myself i've set a bunch of like what i'm calling guardrails about like how many people i'm following and how much time i'm spending on the service every day um i have a 15 minute app limit in ivory at the moment mm. and it's going great for me so far and uh i'm trying to you know i'm trying to understand a fediverse for everything that it's got to offer uh but i would appreciate it if you're so interested that you can come find me uh on mike.social oh boy with upgrades also on Mastodon too. Jason set up a bot. So if you have followed us previously, uh, we are upgrade on mastodon.social. 
uh, if you like, you know, wanted to find out when the show is posted and stuff like that, you we we're also there, so you can go and go and do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I wired all that up. So the upgrade Twitter account and the upgrade Mastodon account. My upgrade Twitter account used to be hand posted. It's not now. It's auto posted based on the show notes and and the Mastodon account has that as well. So if you want to follow that just as a source of, is there a new episode or yeah. are we live, which I'm still working on the live thing, but we'll get there. I'll get that all together. Yeah, we'll get there. But yeah, we're trying it out and uh, it is fun and it's cool and it's interesting. And I'm trying to keep it a little bit looser than I did on Twitter towards the end as well. Um, so yeah, you can come follow us. And Jason, how's Zeppelin.flights? everything going well over there yeah zeppelin.flights is going it's going good i got you know there's there's several people on there it's not just me because it's other people from incomparable mm-hmm. but uh, what i found is with meso.host is which i'm using too which is great i'm using their planet level or something and it's you know i think i'm i'm probably pushing it a little bit actually uh day to day it works fine the challenge is that if you have uh, a decent number of followers so like when i migrated when dan moran migrated and that when i recently migrated six colors over there which has a few thousand followers uh, the moment you press the migration button the whole thing just slows to a crawl for a few hours maybe yeah. and then it's fine again because what happens is every Every other server that's looking f- that that contains a person who's following that account hits mastodon.social where it was, gets the forward request, and immediately hits the new server at zeppelin.flights, and that all happens at once, and that server gets real slow, and mm-hmm. then it and then it works fine. Like once the transition is over, uh, again it, it works uh, it works good, and I haven't had a problem with it. So that's that's uh, yeah, it's going okay. How was your Super Bowl experience? I mean, I watched the Super Bowl at home. Um, we didn't have anybody over or anything. We didn't go anywhere. We just watched the Super Bowl. We had a busy morning. We came home. We're very tired, and we watched the Super Bowl. So, um, the the big the story though is, of course, what I really how should I phrase this? Well, what what I really was there for, Mike, is the Apple Music halftime show. That's not true, but I watched the won't. Super Bowl every year. But it was the inaugural yep. Apple Music. Halftime show, inaugural. I don't think we spoke about this right in the, when it was announced, but this is such a smart move for Apple, right? Like, the halftime show is a, is one of the biggest musical events of the year. And to, you know, it was Pepsi for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And for Apple to get kind of like the branding right on this. I don't know if they have any kind of input or like help or whatever. Like, I don't know, but I don't think it matters, right? It's just like, this is great. I don't, you know, I don't know whether, so what happened is it used to be outsiders who produced the uh, halftime show. Yeah. And then what happened is um, the the wardrobe malfunction, which people might remember. Yeah. That's the yep. Janet Jackson, yep. Justin Timberlake uh, thing. And that was, I think, did MTV produce that? Anyway, um, and the NFL was like, no, 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 we're going to produce it. I don't know. I'm going to have to look. I, I don't know whether this was a uh, an Apple Music production or a co-production with the NFL, but I'm sure that Apple had input uh, on what it was. And I think, I mean, look, okay, so it was Rihanna. I think that Apple's goal is to have the musical guests at the guest or guests at the Super Bowl be relevant, right? Like yeah. Apple, Apple's goal is not nostalgia trip. I think. And so I think while right. sometimes the, the Super Bowl halftime show is a is a classic artist, a great like last artist. Year's, which was awesome, right? The Dre show was fantastic. Yeah. Especially if you're yeah. my age. 
I think it was like right. perfect. Right. So I guess this is the question is you want you don't want it to be like so new that nobody knows who they are because it's the Super Bowl. It is a broad entertainment event. It's the most watched television program in the United States and it's one of the biggest TV events in the world, but it's certainly number 1 in the US by a mile. And you want so you want a, somebody who is going to be known um, but also that I would I would say you want it to be relevant. And if you're Apple, you especially don't want to be known as like a brand that's attached to some old um, star that like like Paul McCartney was at the Super Bowl. Paul, Paul McCartney did not perform at the Super Bowl. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's the dividing line. Rihanna performed at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how these guest selections go going forward. Does Apple have influence with artists that maybe the NFL or Pepsi <laughs> struggled with that Apple uh, will be able to be involved with. Um, I, I think it's also interesting that Rihanna performed without any special guests. That was another thing that's happened in recent, and it, we can't call it a trend because this is the first one, but in recent years, there has been a lot of like stuffing in of extra yep. stuff. So it'll be like, hey, uh, you know, this person will be there, but they, and then there's like, and then these three other famous people appear to do one song. And then this other famous person appears and this was Rihanna. That's it. And yeah. dancers. That's it. Period. The weekend a few years ago was the same, right? But, yes. But like yes, which, last year, which I enjoyed. Like, that was one of my, fa- one of my favorites it. because oh, it felt like so he good. was, I felt not only did I enjoy that, but it was just him and it was a good show. Yeah. And it was somebody I, I would say who is big, uh, but probably, I mean, he, he was verging on is is the weekend big enough? But like for the Super Bowl, uh, or is it a little too soon? But I thought it was worth uh, that. That I think I, I wonder if that might have been the model. If Apple Music was like like that weekend show, we want that to be the show. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. Like they had they were on floating platforms yeah. because this Visually. is a, this is a a no, dome basically with <laughs> yeah. a cutout. But they were on the floating pa- platforms, and you, you could see that they're tethered. Like Rihanna was tethered. Um, behind, so she's not going to fall but off. Still, but still, man. that thing, they are those things were moving and dancing oh. in, on platforms that are like floating <laughs> high oh. above yeah. the stadium, and then they brought her down and they were dancing more. And so the the Lauren was enjoying the dancers on the platforms because they're sort of like move your extremities slightly, but not too much. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I I thought it was a I thought it was a good show. show. My mm. my uh my daughter uh was very excited and and loved it. Um, I thought it was really good, and I love the I love the fact that she just held it down. There's no need for extra leavening of guest artists, like yep. no need. Her her catalog is so large, right? Like we, you you kind of see it in these moments. It, it tends to be a lot of medleys, but usually I feel like even in these medley full performances you'll get someone do like most of a song i don't think she had the time <laughs> to, to do no. any one song in full to fill half an hour but it was like greatest hit one yeah. after another just coming over and over again and showing my deep rihanna knowledge i feel like she ended with the songs that i had heard <laughs> it was like oh i know these now <laughs> we're into the ones that i know umbrella <laughs> i know Shine that one like a diamond yeah i got it uh <laughs> Anyway, uh, the key news, though, the key news here, Mike, is yeah. uh, it's time for where in the world are Tim and Eddie? Uh, Tim Cook and Eddie Q. And the answer is in a luxury box in Phoenix, Arizona, watching the Super Bowl. And we know this because we got to see pictures that went across the social media Uh uh, including Tim Cook sitting next to Billie Eilish, which had very strong, my dad made me come to this football game energy. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. Mm-hmm. 
And Eddie Q sitting next to Adele, which led to our friend John Syracuse posting on Mastodon. Everyone else in the world, hey, it's Adele. Me and the people I know, Eddie! (laughs) You know, when I saw these images, I'm like, this is another key reason for Apple to want this. Schmoozing. There were parties beforehand, and I imagine they had something afterward. Yeah. To the stars that they want to make sure, right? Like Adele, Billie Eilish, like, you know, you're in the family, but hey, come down. We feel loved. Look after you, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And it's a genuine big reason for all of this corporate stuff, right? It's why a lot of companies put their names on the side of arenas because then it becomes like a thing that they can offer to clients or whatever. This is about as big a ticket. As you can score, and Apple, I'm sure, get multiple boxes or whatever as part of this. Well, they got obviously there's a yeah, this big luxury suite, and the, the the stars are all in there, and they're and they're doing parties beforehand, and like it's a whole, it's a whole thing, right? Yep. And and it's it's just one piece of Apple's larger strategy, but I think this is an interesting Apple Music kind of thing, and they're committed, right? Didn't isn't the deal for ten years? It's I mean, 10 years, they're committed yeah. to this. Uh, we'll see where it goes from here, um, but you know. We're guaranteed that Tim Cook's going to take in at least one non-Auburn football game a year now. It'll be the Super Bowl. By the way, before we, we continue, speaking of Auburn, I just want to throw this out there. If you don't know, uh, Tim Cook's a big fan of Auburn college football. I believe Auburn plays at Cal this year. So what I'm saying is, Tim, I have an extra ticket. Give me a call. Okay. Take off that red shirt. One rumor roundup item this week. Ross Young is suggesting that a 15.5-inch MacBook Air could be coming in April. Quote, 15.5-inch MacBook Air started panel production this month. We would expect an early April launch. Right. Remember, Ross Young is a display analyst, and therefore, when he says started panel production, like this is one of those supply chain things, which is he knows they're making the displays now. Mm for this thing and that they know the size and they know what it you know the everything all the specs of the panel and that that leads to this um this result but i like bring it on i'm very excited about this because as we've talked about here several times um you shouldn't need to spend uh more than two thousand dollars uh if all you really want is a bigger screen yep. in your lap apple laptop right like and i feel like this screen for ross young is real easy to guess right just because like a screen of that size in the quality of display panel is only really one place it can go. It's not the spec of the MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. It's it's probably the same spec as the as the smaller MacBook Air panel. So there you go. Yeah. Love it. And Apple has announced a new person coming to the executive board at the C suite mm. level. Mm-hmm. A chief people officer. Uh, which is going to be a role fulfilled by Carol Surface, uh, which I like the Surface joke. I've had like, I've been thinking, is there a joke around Surface that I can get here? But I couldn't Mm -hmm. think of one. Carol Surface is joining Apple. From now on, going to be referred to as Carol iPad. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Carol Surface is joining Apple to fill the position after spending a decade as vice president of HR, a medical device company called Medtronic. Deirdre O'Brien, who was fulfilling these roles and then also took over the uh, retail role back in 2017 from Angela Arantz. Deirdre was running two roles is now relinquishing HR duties to focus fully on retail. So Deirdre was people moved mm-hmm. to people and retail, now is letting go of people. 
So I wanted to ask you two uh, thoughts on this. One, that this is a C-level role, just intriguing. And what do you think about bringing in someone from outside of Apple to fill the role in charge kind of like corporate culture? Yeah, I I don't think this role is really in charge of corporate culture. I mean, I, I it's a it's a it's an HR role. Um, and in fact, the reason Deirdre O'Brien got the retail job is because most of Apple's people are retail people, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the truth of it. Is the bulk of Apple's employees? Because I always see these stories. You know, sorry for the tangent here, but like I see these stories about hiring in Silicon Valley, and people talk about the size that Apple is, and they're like, oh, and Apple has all these employees, and it's like, yeah. But most of them are retail. And I'm not saying the retail employees aren't like real employees. I'm saying I'm saying I see people use the employee number as a proxy for how much R&D Apple is doing and stuff and it's like mm, there's a there is a group of people who are in uh, in Cupertino and in other places who are building product and then there's retail and the and running this retail chain is in enor- an enormous task and it has a huge number of people employed and it's a and it's there are different needs for people who are working in retail than the people who are working you know writing software or designing a processor so I don't know um bringing in an outsider is always weird they have so many different things about the culture including Apple University that I feel like um yeah, I'm sure they were concerned about it, but what they really want is a good head of HR so that Deidre O'Brien doesn't have to keep doing it, yeah. right? Like that's that seems to be the task here is so that Deidre O'Brien uh, doesn't have to keep uh, being directly responsible for HR. So they brought they bring her in, uh, Carol Surface. They bring her in at a at a CPO level, Chief People Officer level, uh, probably because that's how they could get her and they wanted her. Um, we'll yeah. see how it goes, right? I mean, I, there is definitely this feels like it. It might be fine, but there is a track record of people coming in from the outside to Apple and just not fitting. And I'm sure that concerns them. But just because it concerns them, they may still have done this. And 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 there may even be a, well, we'll see. In fact, if I were Carol Surface, I would say, um, I'm, I'm going to keep thinking about that name. Uh, you got in my head now. Uh, if I was Carol Surface, I would like definitely want a, what is this? What if this doesn't work out? How much are you going to pay me to leave? Uh, I would have that consideration because there's a non anybody coming in from the outside at a high level to Apple. There is a non-zero chance that you're not going to make it. Right? History is not work kindly on th- right. that. You that might individual. you might be Browett level where uh-huh. you're just a bad cultural fit and kicked out almost immediately. You might be an Angela Arendt's level where it's sort of like yeah, but not really. And let's let's just agree to to part. Uh, and so anyway, if you're coming in at, at the level that Carol surfaces, I would definitely want to have those scenarios plotted out, but I'm sure everybody wants it, wants it to work. And it's not, I mean, it, it, I'd say what's critical about this. I was going to say it was not a critical part of Apple, Apple's business. It is, but in a different way than a lot of these other executive jobs, right? Like what are the, what are the most relevant things that Carol surface is going to have to deal with? I think it, it's going to be retention of their existing employees, especially the ones who are highly valued and have a lot of stock options and maybe, you know, maybe want to do something that else and have a new challenge. And then the big one, I think, is retail and all of the issues, especially about union unionization in retail. Um, obviously a big uh area 
where a lot of news has happened in the last year about uh, unionizing or potentially unionizing at various retail stores. And mm-hmm. that's something that she's going to have to, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I was, gonna, I was gonna, from the perspective of Apple, she's going to have to handle it, right? <laughs> like make sure that doesn't happen is probably what her charge is going to be. But um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, uh, interesting uh, to bring anybody in from the outside. I guess this means that Deirdre O'Brien has uh, gone well as head of retail, right? Like, cause the, sure. otherwise, I mean, right? Like she's going to keep doing that job and that's just going to be her job. I mean, it seems like the stores have kind of restabilized, I guess. Um, Cause there was a period of upheaval, some good, some bad. Like, but I think that was what they asked Angela Arons to do. But then mm-hmm. Apple's business changed underneath her, right? And yeah. they had to start shifting iPhones. <laughs> no stores were not yes, set up that's right. for shifting iPhones. Hard uh, and so I think that they've they've changed that around again. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because like the unionization thing is also something for Deirdre O'Brien to deal with, right? Like I feel like this is a and well, reports have been suggesting Deirdre yeah. has been dealing with. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. No, I think I think these all go. I mean, these all go together, and I, I, yeah. The obviously, they're going to be working together <laughs> on a lot of this stuff because it is people and it is retail, and they go together. So that's that's the case uh, here. I do wonder. I mean, first off, there's a whole HR infrastructure, right? And somebody yep. has to do that part. Yep. And that'll be, Carol Surface will be in charge of that. But like, I do wonder about at what level the retail head is involved in the details of retail. Since there are so many retail employees and they're so different from the other employees at Apple, you know, are the are the retail employees still kind of the province of Deidre O'Brien? You know, does she have extra, like, I don't know how that works. The dynamic is, is Carol Surface going to be more like, you really need to focus on the people who aren't retail. Deidre is still going to focus on retail. And then, and then obviously we'll still use the HR infrastructure, which reports to you, um, how much that is or how much it is that Deidre O'Brien like has other things she needs to deal with and doesn't need to spend all this time talking about the retail employees and unionization and all of that. I don't know. She's got stores of in a store to build. Yeah. Well. Good luck to Carol iPad. This episode is brought to you by Ladder. Look, let's be real. I'm sure you, like me, have a tendency to put some things off until the very last minute. Whether it's going to renew your driving license, getting your next dental checkup on the books, or getting around to that pile of home improvement projects you've got going on. You know the kind of things I'm talking about. We all have these things. While most of the time it works out, the one thing in life that you really cannot afford to wait on is setting up term coverage life insurance. You've probably seen life insurance commercials on TV and thought, I'm going to get to that. But this isn't something you should wait on. Choose life insurance through Ladder today. Ladder is 100% digital, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork, when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. Just answer a few questions about your health in an application. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 on Trustpilot, and they made Forbes' best life insurance list of 2021. You just need a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. There are no hidden fees. You can cancel at any time, and you'll get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A-plus by AM Best. And since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. 
Just get it done. Go to ladderlife.com slash upgrade today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R-Life.com slash upgrade. One last time, ladderlife.com slash upgrade. A thanks to Ladder for their support of this show and Relay FM. It is report card season, Jason it is. Snell. It A couple is of weeks ago, we had the report card. Well, I had it sent to me along with how many people do you send the report card to now to f- f- uh, to complete oh it's a large list i'm not going to disclose how large it is although i don't actually know not everybody fills it out so 55 filled it out this year okay uh and so we get it it has a bunch of questions on it you know like what do you think of this what do you think of that everyone goes through fills out their scores send it back to send it back to you with comments you collate those comments and create a score of kind of people in the community who are observers of Apple, right? Uh, I filled it out. You do not fill it out, but today I will be asking you for your scores. I want to go through each uh, category. We'll take a look at where it was scored, how it compares to years prior. Um, All right. You can give your scores. I'll give mine. And I've also pulled out some, I think, really interesting quotes from some of the people uh, that sent this stuff in. So we'll start. We'll go in the order that the Six Colors Report card is ordered in. Uh, and we'll start with the Mac, which received an A minus grade of 4.2 out of 5, which is a year over year decline. So it was 4.6 last year, 4.7 the year before. Jason, what would you rate the Mac in 2022? Um, I'm going to say 4. Okay. What makes you say 4? And I think I think what's going on in the survey is similar to what makes me say for it. it's a decline from the debut of the M1 Max in 2020. Still a very good score, and I think four out of five is a very good score. Um, the reason it's not five out of five, I mean, they have they have had some problems shipping Macs. I think I think that is an issue, um, and so the MacBook Pro and the Mac Mini didn't ship until 2023, right? And this is for 2022. So I would mark them down uh, for struggling with that, for not fulfilling their promise to close the Apple Silicon transition. The Mac Pro is still floating out there as well. But I'm generally positive on that side. I would also mark them down for things like system settings. And um, I'm not going to really not mark them down on the Mac for stage manager. I think it's okay. It's not for me. Um, but the system settings thing is a good example of an own goal mm-hmm. on a thing that like was not great, but has not been, has been redone and is also not great. Um, and we've detailed that in the past. So I, I could have given them five out of five, but I feel like, you know, you know me, Mike, I, I don't you. give five out of five for almost anything because, uh, you know, nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about. That's what they do say that about you. That is a thing people say, people say that specific line about you quite a lot. Uh, I for me is easy five out of five. Like let me tell you why. Right, the MacBook Air, the M2 MacBook Air is my favorite Mac of all time. It is perfect in my opinion. The Mac Studio came out in 2022. That is a whole new Mac that didn't exist. It's before. true, and I love it. And the studio display, which wasn't perfect, but I really wanted it, and I love it. I feel Those like... Those arguments for five out of five, yeah. I feel like if these products would not have come out at the start of the year, but came out later in the year, the score would be higher than 4.2. That's what I think. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I think that might be the case. I mean, it's it's an interesting dynamic. That was There's definitely a what, what have you done for me lately, what's happened recently kind of vibe that happens mm-hmm. in these votes in general. And what was last left with them was that period where no Macs were announced when everybody thought we'd be getting new MacBook Pros. 
Alex Cox wrote, it still feels like a Mac renaissance with the redesigned MacBook Air. There feels like a default to what most consumers want when they get an Apple or any laptop. The lack of a Mac Pro update is disappointing, but the M series of Macs we've gotten so far are any indication it will be worth the wait. Uh, John Syracuse has said, I'm not dinging Apple for failing to, quote, complete the transition to Apple Silicon in 2022, but the continued lack of a larger than 24-inch iMac combined with the inability to transition all the existing plain old M1 Macs to M2 means the Mac line lacks the luster of last year's M1-powered supergroup. I think a lot of people might echo what John said there about like wanting the M1s to turn over. I know that you've been talking about, you've been kind of disappointed in the iMac as kind of just stayed where it was. Uh, and Shelley Brisbane said, in a year where some were doubtless disappointed that a favorite product wasn't refreshed, the new Mac Studio and improved MacBook Air are worthy additions to the lineup, advancing the silicon transition. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of positivity there, right? But is it perfect? I don't know. I mean, I think giving it a five is perfectly reasonable. Giving it a four is, I think, pretty reasonable too. I think so too. A, I think the Mac is in a very, very good place. I think it would be really, really hard to beat the 2020 score of 4.7. Like, I do, I can't imagine them being able to surprise us to the level that they did with the first round of M1 Max. Like, just how powerful oh, sure. they were and how efficient they were. Yeah, no, you. That's the <laughs> the, the big moment where you do a processor transition mm -hmm. is that's the, always going to be the best because after that it's incremental again. Yep. Uh, my. You always do these great charts. What are the what are these kind of charts called? Where it's like the lines with the with the circles. Is there like a particular name for this I, kind of chart? I don't know. I don't know. We'll call it the circle line chart. Uh, my favorite circle okay. line chart in the six colors report card is the iPhone because it's just incredibly consistent, right? Like yeah. the variance year to year is never more than like. 0.5, right? Like it's it's incredibly consistent. The iPhone scored a B plus, a 3.9 average. Where would you put the iPhone for 2022? Um, you know, it's it's good but boring. I I think I would probably give it a four. I thought about giving it a three. Um, I don't love the low end iPhone being kind of like separated. I understand it, but I don't have to like it. I don't like the the mini being dropped. I don't like the old processor on the lower end models. Um, I don't, you know, it is also year three of this design, which I don't love. I think that the pro design is not, I mean, again, everybody can have their, have their own personal style opinions, but like, I don't like the iPhone pro design. I don't like how heavy it is. I don't like the stainless steel. I don't like the mm -hmm. look of it. Mm -hmm. I think the look of the lower end phones is better. And then this year they stuck a better processor and a much better camera in the higher end phone, making it so much better on a spec basis, but still not a phone that I particularly like to look at or carry because of the weight and the, uh, and the, the choices they made and the color choices that they made. All of that, uh, is, you know, not my favorite. I do love the features that they brought though this year. The dynamic Island is great. The always on screen is pretty cool. That camera is amazing. So there's a lot of positivity there too. So I kind of throw it in at four because the, and it's what you said, right? It's it, the iPhone is, it, the iPhone abides, right? The iPhone is there, and it uh, and Apple focuses on it and makes sure that it's good, and it is good. Uh, but I have a, enough quibbles with it that it gives me pause to give it a four out of five. 
Jessica Dennis wrote, I wish I hadn't traded in my iPhone 13 mini for the iPhone 14 Pro. It was small and pink and my new phone is not better enough that I don't miss that. Just made me think, you know, you're saying about like, it is a big jump to go to the Pro because not only is it bigger, it is heavier. Like I I would like to see them move away from stainless steel. Uh, I've really enjoyed it for the years that I've had it. Like it being nice and shiny with the gold is great, but I, I wouldn't mind a weight reduction on the iPhone. I think, you know, I think the whole iPhone um, 12, 13, 14 Pro design, I think it's a misfire. I think that it's it's uh, not only leaving aside the lack of color and the need for a color czar to come in there, um, the matte back, whereas the, the base model has the shiny back, um, I think the matte back is not, is boring and doesn't look as good as the shiny back, and the stainless is too heavy and weighs the whole thing down, and the benefit of having the stainless ring. So I've been using the 14 Pro. Um, because I want to use the dynamic island, which there hasn't been as much dynamic island stuff as I would like, although I'm looking forward to it when baseball season comes around, especially. I want to check that out. But I've been using that, and my, my my mini is on my desk here, and I keep looking at it. And I feel what Jessica Dennis feels, which is um, I'm not sure, other than the dynamic island, the benefit that I'm getting out of here. Uh, like I, Let me put it this way. If I didn't write about iPhone stuff, as part of my job and therefore want to see the latest and greatest with especially the dynamic Island, I would just go back to the mini that's sitting on my desk. Like I, I would, because it, you know, I, I don't think that the trade-off is worth it. And part of that is just my objections in general to some of the decisions they made on the pro side. And, you know, if you like your iPhone pro, that's great. I just, there are decisions they made that they, we have now lived with for three years that I, I disagree with that I think are not, uh, we're not the right ones. So I hope they try to make that phone lighter and I hope they try to make it like not only weight lighter, but like literally lighter and brighter. And um, cause why should that phone be so boring and dead serious? It's ridiculous. So I gave it a four as well. Like this wasn't like a mind blowing year, but they did the things that I wanted them to do. The always on display. They brought the 48 megapixel camera, but they, I don't think they really took full advantage of that. Um, and you can as a user, but it's complicated. Um, and the, but the dynamic island kind of saved it for me as this like this delightful little thing that I wasn't expecting them to do the way that they did it. Right, like none of us did. Um, and it, it's been great. I, like you, I wish that there were more live activities using the dynamic island than there are. But the ones that do, I always really enjoy it. Stephen Hackett wrote, the iPhone 14 Pro's Dynamic Island is the biggest UI change to come to iOS since the iPhone 10 ditched the home button back in 2017. It is a big change, and I do hope that, this is me now saying this, it is a big change. I do hope that developers continue to embrace it. There's been some that seem like obvious ones to me that yet still haven't. And it could just be one of those things that like it's big companies and they take a long time and Apple dropped it in September and it's... Still not the time for people. I don't know. I want to read this one last quote from Christina Warren, who said, The iPhone lineup this year, like every year, is good. I'm no longer wowed by the iPhone the way I once was, but that also doesn't matter because the iPhone remains the best phone available, which I just think is like a really nice way of putting it, to be honest. Yeah, this is this is the challenge with the iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we can criticize it, but like Apple, Apple's very diligent in making sure that the iPhone kind of motors along, even even though we can criticize it, it's not, it's not a product that we're like, what are they doing? Right? Like it's not, it's not quite like that. No. The iPad got a C grade, three 
average. That is the lowest grade the iPad has received in all of the years that you have been doing the report card. It is. Which is... It is. I mean, if you think back from now all the way to 2015, I don't know if this is necessarily the worst year. However, I think it's the the kind of chain of disappointment that has led to this, right? Yes. What is your grade? I am... I was tempted to give it a two, but I'm going to give it a three. But it's one of those three pointing down kind of threes. Um, and <laughs> and here is, oh, oh, I don't know. I see what you're well, saying. you know, it's it's <laughs> you know, like yeah. uh, you know, there's nothing more boring than hearing people explain why that they would give things a half rating if the scale had half ratings. I yep. hate it, and I was the one who chose no half ratings because I don't want to hear about your half ratings. Choose, and I've chosen a three. But just to be clear, I w- I was not choosing between a three and a four. I was choosing between a three and a two here. Look, the, the the great, and I think that the the panelists really captured it. The great conundrum about the iPad right now is that the iPad, individual iPads are great. Like iPad OS is incredibly capable. Individual iPads are great. They have great features. There are little quirks here and there, but like they have great features. It, it, you could buy an iPad Air or a 10th generation iPad and be very happy. With those products, they're very good. You could buy an iPad Pro and be happy with it. However, as a whole, looking at every product that's available, looking at what the features are, looking at what the prices are, just pondering where the iPad is going, where it's been, what it's trying to be, doesn't make a lick of sense. Uh Doesn't make any sense. And while I'm willing to have some sympathy for Apple because of the the supply chain issues and some other stuff that they've run into. The bottom line is they have had a long time to get the iPad to make sense and they have failed. (laughs) And maybe they will someday make the iPad make sense again, the iPad as a whole. But right now they've got new features that are presumably going to be in all iPads that have debuted in the low-end iPad. They've got a high-end iPad called iPad Pro that still lacks, for example, their Pro software on it, even though it's got the M2 chip now. They have got... Uh, the features on the 10th generation iPad aren't on the iPad Pro because the iPad Pro is unchanged since 2018. I think actually a bunch of people I've seen anecdotally decided to upgrade their iPad Pros to the M2 model from the 2018 model, feeling like, you know, it was time to upgrade. And like, yeah, I guess it is, except it it's it's largely unchanged. The 2018 iPad was so powerful as it was that it, is your iPad really from 2018 still being taxed, your iPad Pro, uh, compared to the current model other than like external display support or stage manager? Like they're, they're, the, the, the hardware situation is super confused. And while I, again, I'm skeptic or I, I'm sent, I'm sympathetic to Apple with supply chain issues and all that stuff being in a bit of a jam here. But at the end of the day, if I'm looking at the iPad line, it doesn't make sense. And that's on Apple. Um, And the fact that they were willing, I think the most damning thing to me about the iPad this year is not stage manager, which I think, you know, Federico hates it. I think it's okay. I don't, I don't think it's great. I think it's okay. I think I, I understand what they're trying to do there. I've got some frustrations about it, but I don't use my iPad in as aggressively as Federico tries to. So I understand that it doesn't meet his standards and it isn't what he's looking for there. But for me, the most damning thing is that they decided to push out that M2 iPad Pro with essentially nothing new about it mm-hmm. rather than, I think, what they should have done, which is just wait, wait six months 
wait nine months, wait a year, and and actually do a proper new iPad Pro. Because of all the products for them to just decide to let sit there, the iPad Pro, I mean, it, it has really led for me to a, a, that combined with that touchscreen rumor that we heard about, touchscreen Max, led me to a real crisis of, uh, almost like an existential crisis about the iPad. Because I'm now starting to think the iPad is a brilliant product line. And and the iPad Pro is a mistake because they don't know what to do with it. They can't put, you know, they, they can't equip it properly. They can't even update it properly. And then you look at the iPad Air and you're like, the iPad Air is right there and it's pretty good, right? Like, think how positive the iPad lineup would be if they weren't if they weren't trying so hard with Stage Manager and uh, the Magic Keyboard and all of that stuff at the high end, and instead we're like, oh, look at this great iPad Air. And the and the tenth generation iPad and it's a really nice solid tablet within some lower constraints rather than pushing it to the high end. But before you say, well, it's those high end power users who are trying to make the iPad distort the iPad into something it's not. I will just say, since 2015, I think 2014, Apple has been selling a product called iPad Pro. So Apple brought this on itself, mm-hmm. <laughs> and here we are. Um, so. You know, the reason I don't give it a two is because I do think the individual iPads are still great. And I use my iPad probably more than any other Apple device. And I love it. My frustration is I think it, I, I, I feel like it is um, in a bad place that, that the product line as a whole is kind of coasting. And while there are good things that are happening in parts of the iPad line, it lacks any kind of cohesive vision at least that we can see and my hope for the ipad in the future is that um that we finally see what apple is trying to to do here but it you know we talk about this a lot about how more than half of the i or the, of apple's revenue is the iphone and the iphone has to be the priority and it does have to be a priority and then we we had that moment where apple's like no no we're we're committed to the mac and we've seen the apple silicon stuff on the mac and then you look at the ipad and it's it i know that there's some progress happening there but it's very hard to look at the current state of the ipad line as a whole and not think this is in part because apple just hasn't thought it was important enough because it's embarrassing like the rolling out some of those features on the low end ipad and then just pushing the ipad pro m2 update out with nothing again it just it's it's a bad look and and the fact that they thought that they could just like push it out there and make everybody wait for 18 months for another iPad pro generation. I don't know. I I feel like it says a lot (laughs) about not that Apple doesn't care, but that Apple is not, you know, they haven't executed. Yeah. I I guess that's what I'd say. Yeah. I gave it a two. Um, This is the the product line I'm the most disappointed with. As, as I wrote, I so said that Apple had one job to do with the iPad Pro this year and couldn't get it done. And they didn't do it? Yep. They just didn't do it, Like which was do something. You know, For me, what I'm referencing is the is the 11-inch, right? And and the, the iPad Pros from 2022 are fine, right? Like, this is the conundrum, right? Is they're fine, but they're also the same. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that, I think that says so much to me about how they're, that Apple seems to be content to just let it, let it ride. And those of us who are observing the iPad as a as a, a platform say, no, 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 you can't let it ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't do that. And they did it. 
Let's see what Federico has to say. I think it's great that I can now use my iPad Pro with an external display and have a separate set of app windows on it. The problem is everything else. In practical terms, aside from more concurrent windows on screen, iPadOS 16 doesn't let me get more things done on a daily basis compared to iPadOS 15. I want to continue loving the iPad, but I also need to get my work done. And I'm tired of having to rely on supplementing my iPad Pro with a Mac Mini to do all the things I need to do. This reminds me of what David Sparks said, I think, last year, which set like a fire in my brain, which is just like, I'm just going to use the iPad for what it's meant for, and I'm not going to try. I'm going to stop trying to make it do something it's not. And I feel like Federico's kind of coming to that now as well. Uh, Stephen Aquino wrote, I feel, it feels like Groundhog's Day with iPad OS every year, standing at odds with the top-notch hardware of the iPad. It's like the beautiful way of putting that thing that we say all the time, right? Of like, software's just got to catch up with the hardware, like, any day now, I suppose. Mm. And Aline Sims says, the iPad product line is more robust than it's ever been, but none of the models fit my needs well. Hmm. It's kind of a mess. I... As down as I am on the iPad in 2022, I think they can get it together. I mean, like, the, the changes they made on the 10th generation iPad are good changes, right? Yeah. Like, moving the FaceTime camera is a good change. But then they, they like, they said the iPad Pro, eh, wait, wait a year and a half. We're just going to give you the same old thing now. That that I think that's the root of it. That and people who are very angry about Stage Manager. I mean, for me, I think that's the root of it is... Uh, by all accounts, and again, you know, Apple didn't announce anything, but by all accounts, there was a next-gen iPad Pro uh, that they were working on that they basically didn't ship. And it feels very much like they, you know, they had to punt on that. And as a result, you've got these uh, new features in the product line that are not in your high-end product. And that's not a great place to be in. I'm sure the people at Apple know that's not a great place to be in. I'm sure they're frustrated that they couldn't get there. But in the end, it's not my job to pat them on the back and say, you'll get them next time. It is my job to call it out and say, you didn't, you blew it. Yep. I, I, I'm sure there are reasons. I'm sure it was hard. Yeah. I'm sure the supply chain didn't help. I get it. But bottom line is you punted on the, on, on the iPad Pro. And if the answer is, well, what, what should we have done? The answer is not ship the M2 iPad Pro and try to ship the next generation iPad, iPad Pro sooner than a year and a half from now. Um, and maybe the answer would be, well, production line, and this is the only t chance we get it, and then we have to wait 18 months. And it's like, wouldn't you rather have the M2 than the M1? And and honestly, no. No, I don't want reheated M1 with M2 chips in there, yeah. and everything else is exactly the same. I think that... Um, I I think that was a bad choice on their part. That that shows maybe that they don't care so much about the people who buy iPad Pros. And like, frankly... We are this hard on them. We all are because of what they do in the other categories, right? Like we see they have the ability, but it feels like time and time again, they miss with the iPad. And it's like, but you have had, you know, you've done so much on the Mac and the iPhone remains so consistent. What is it about the iPad specifically where we seem to be having these issues? And that's why we keep coming back time and time again. And it's why the iPad score is slipping. Like it went back up in 2017, and it's just been on a steady decline ever since. So moving to wearables and Apple Watch, which got an A grade of a 4.4 average. You kind of couple this with Apple Watch only as its own category. That received an A- minus with a 4.2 average. Yeah, I used to only ask about Apple Watch, and only since 2019 have I changed it to be wearables yeah. because... 
uh, it was clear that that was the category. And as a result, I didn't want to kind of leave the, lose the trend of Apple watch. Uh, at some point I'll drop that, but for now the complexity remains. If people ask me why I don't tweak these categories year to year, this is why I think there's value in showing here's how it's changed since 2015. And if I tweak anything like this category, I have to footnote it forever, yep. essentially until I drop the data. Uh, that was historical. So, so what is your overall wearable score and your Apple Watch score? Uh, you know, I'll give it a four. Apple Watch Ultra, good to see the Apple Watch platform moving forward. Uh, the main Apple Watch platform hasn't really moved forward in quite a while now, but the Ultra was a move forward. It's not as big a move forward. Like the software doesn't seem to have really embraced the Ultra. It seems like it's just a big Apple Watch, but the hardware is very impressive. That action button is an interesting idea that I like. I would like to see brought back perhaps to the regular old Apple Watch at some point. Um, AirPods Pro 2 came out. Uh, a lot of people called those out. I love them. AirPods Pro 2. I, I mean, I wouldn't have believed that I would have loved the original AirPods as much as I did. I was very, very skeptical. AirPods Pro 2. Um, I mean, I, then I started using the AirPods Pro, which were great. The AirPods Pro 2 are amazing. Um, I love them. The the um, the sound, the noise cancellation is incredible. The sound is good. It's pretty much everything I want from a set of uh, headphones that I would take around, like not at my desk, but that I go around mm -hmm. and walking the dog or whatever, like all that stuff is happening. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm pretty positive about it. Um, uh, for, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the AirPods max still exists and hasn't been updated and is not, is very weird and awkward. And, uh, like I said about Apple watch being kind of like the main Apple watch just seems like it's kind of static right now. And, uh, that's enough for me not to give it a five out of five. So you give a four for both. Mm -hmm. Okay. For me, I give a four for the Apple Watch and a five for the overall category. So with the Apple Watch, I think the Apple Watch Ultra is awesome, right? Like it looks cool. They're doing a bunch of really interesting things in it. It's something new and exciting. But the Series 8, I still want a redesign of the regular Apple Watch and it's still not happening and I can't fathom it at this point. Um, but AirPods 2, rule. AirPods 2 might be the best thing Apple did last year maybe the apples pro 2 i should say uh it's in contention with me with the macbook air like i had my airpods pro in yesterday i wasn't listening to anything at the time i could pause something or whatever and i whistled and i noticed my airpods bring the volume down and i was like it just every now and then it gets me and i'm like that adaptive transparency like the noise cancellation is just unbelievable on something so small but the adaptive transparency is so good um, and I love the volume control. Um, like that, you know, that takes a little bit to get used to, but once you get used to, it's an excellent addition. Quinn Nelson said, "AirPods Pro Two are one of the greatest products Apple has ever created." Uh, Marco Armit says, "The second generation AirPods Pro improved on an already excellent product. Apple Watch Ultra was a bold risk to expand the watch lineup, and it worked out very well." And Alex Cox said, "I used to joke that Apple is the only company I trust with my menstrual physical." But the U.S. Supreme Court made that monkey's paw uh, into a harsh reality. But you know, this was the great thing about the Series 8 is the temperature thing that got added. It was very uh, singular in focus, but compared to the, what was it, 6 when they added the blood oxygen, mm -hmm. they actually had something you could use it for rather than just like, hey, we do this now. So they had a, a, an accurate story around the product. Yep. Although I think overall the Series 8 didn't really move forward in a meaningful way. Apple TV got a B grade with an average of 3.6. What did you give it? 
Um, gonna say four. Oh, okay. Gonna be on the high side with this one. I use Apple TV every day. Um, it, this year they they updated the product and they made a cheaper version of the product. Um, which we've been asking them to do. I feel like the Apple TV now makes sense because Apple has put all of its stuff um, on every box and TV that they can, that um, what they, the pressure's off the Apple TV in that way, right? Like it doesn't need to be the thing like, well, if you want Apple stuff, you got to buy an Apple TV box and they're expensive. And now it's more like, I don't know, this year I feel more comfortable with the Apple TV as being just a premium product that you pay more. And do you get more? I, I think there are arguments. I, I try to keep up on those other boxes. I have a Roku TV in my house. I have a, uh, I have a fire TV. I buy a new fire TV stick or box every so often just to keep up on the, on the, um, on the state of the art. And what I would say is, uh, if people are bothered by the amount of sort of Apple TV marketing that Apple does in, uh, on the Apple TV, they should see what is happening on the Roku and on the Amazon products because it's it's way worse. Um, plus, there's that argument about like those companies want your data for various reasons. Um, and although you can turn that stuff off, like the Amazon's products, especially their marketing products, the Amazon products are are sold to you uh, at a loss or a discount because they are um, trying to make it up on selling you stuff. Like that's just how it works. That's why I abandoned my Echo Show. So having the Apple TV out there as a, as a, I would say nicer, but more expensive equivalent, I, I feel more comfortable with that. Now, Apple TV is a mess uh, in terms of the software. There are a lot of issues with it. Um, I've had, I've had remotes that become ghosts that flicker on the screen and I have to, I have to wipe them and repair them and stuff. Uh, some of the software is, is, is good. Some of the apps, some of the software is bad. But I will say, I don't, I, I have, I use it every day and I still give it a good score. So that's what I would say is it's not perfect, but I think it's pretty good. And having used some of the alternatives, I appreciate how good the Apple TV stuff is. Um, plus being in Apple's ecosystem, having the fitness app there and all that, like that, that stuff is good too. I'm not happy with everything they've done. In addition to their usual quirks, they changed the behavior of the up next view in the latest software update to make it feel more like you're forced to watch an animated ad while you're browsing what you want to watch next. It used to be when you browsed up next, uh, there was like a big picture of the thing you were, you were currently selecting that, uh, was reinforcing what you were currently selecting. And now that is a separate space for Apple to promote stuff. And I will say it also feels like Apple has, I feel like Apple TV used to be a little more like Apple was trying to curate the whole entertainment universe that was available on Apple TV. And that they also had the Apple TV tab where you could get Apple TV plus tab where you could get their own content. I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like Apple is only now paying lip service to the existence of other services and almost everything that I see is a promo for a program on Apple TV plus. And while I understand it, I don't like it. I preferred the approach that like in the TV plus tab, it's all about TV plus, but out in the main tab of the TV app on Apple TV, it should be 
a little more like many services are available on your Apple TV. Here are some things you could watch. In fact, the system should know which ones are there and linked and logged in and all of that linked to the TV app. They should know that. And so it should be able to say, oh, you have Paramount Plus. Did you know about this thing and all that? And the truth is nine times out of 10, it feels like it's some some often old Apple TV plus stuff that they're like trying to push my way. And I don't, I don't love that about it because that makes them seem a little more uh, Amazon-y, but again, not to the extent of Amazon and Roku. So anyway, that's my, that's my uh, Apple TV state of the uh, state of state of the year. How about you? I gave it a three. I mean, and I'm giving it a three based on everything you said. Like I'm frustrated with them, but like in a way that I expect them to do some of this stuff, right? Like, it seemed like a natural thing that over time they would trend more towards promoting their own stuff. Yeah. Um, but really, for me, I just feel like Apple is doing purely what is needed and nothing more, and there is more they could do. They could do more for tvOS. They could do more to make the TV app what it should be, as you say, like an actual pl- destination. Sure. Netflix could be in there if Apple was, was willing to give Netflix what they wanted, which I still think they should do. Um and they could also be doing more on hardware. They could have even more cheaper options. Like Benjamin Mayo made a good point and said the most important thing for the Apple TV box was to make it cheaper, and they did that. And I think that's great, but it could still be cheaper, um, sure. especially because they offer software versions of the TV app, right? Like, I feel like it's a more reasonable argument now that Apple yes. is making that that more that Apple product, right? That more expensive than the competition, but you know, but it's also nicer because I do think that that's yep, that's true, and that when you compare it to not the rock bottom one, but the one that sort of meets it in terms of specs, again, the Apple one is more expensive, but you can make that argument. You're in the ecosystem, you get some extra things and all of that. It's at least arguable in a way that I think maybe before it was not at all. Um, and I understand Apple not wanting to go down there. Um, and I also understand that part of the appeal is that Apple is not going to be using your data like like Amazon and Roku are. But, um, you know, a lot of us want Apple to be more competitive with those companies and basically say, you don't need to sell your data to Amazon. We we have a product that you can buy instead. And the problem is that I don't think they're ever, not only is Apple not going to go down there, but they're also never going to beat companies that are designed to undercut their price in order to get more people so that they can get more data. Yeah. Like, it's great that they don't sell my data, but they also should be giving me a good experience of good recommendations. Right? I, like, I agree. I mean, yes, you know. yes. We've talked about this before. Like the, the, I mean, well, also the truth is Roku, you can turn it off, right? Like, I mean, you, yeah. you can turn it off, but uh, I get it. I get people wanting to, uh, to buy into the Apple TV thing. I think it can be overstated about the, the the differences between them but i don't know i i like i said i think bottom line three would be perfectly reasonable too uh i gave it four but like i see where you're coming from um i just think it's one of those things that over the last few years i have gone from being like i've got an apple tv out here and then i've got a roku over here and i've got an amazon thing over here on the various tvs in my house and like my daughter has an Apple TV. My mom has an Apple TV and we have multiple Apple TVs in our house now. Cause it's reached the point where I'm like, you know what? I d- I'm not gonna, I-, I don't think that the experience on those other devices is, uh, is yep. good enough. And I'd rather spend for this and use it. Yep. And Casey, this wrote the remotes are great. I appreciate that the new one charges via USB C the software isn't perfect, but honestly it's consistent and mostly stays out of the way, <laughs> which is, as you said, good point. It's a reason That's to true. do it, right? Like, the software might not be great, but it's not in your face. 
either. And it works. Yeah. This episode is brought to you in part by our friends over ExpressVPN. Watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN is like playing your favorite game and not having all of the power-ups available. Why limit yourself when there's so much more to be had? I don't know if you know this, right? But some streaming services, they have different content libraries for every country. So there are tons of shows available in other countries. And with a VPN, you can access those other libraries. It basically tweaks these services to think, where, like for them to know where you are right now, you can tell them you're somewhere else. And that could give you, for example, Canadian Netflix, where you can watch all of The Office, Turkish Netflix, where you can watch Lord of the Rings, or, or you could go back to Canadian Netflix again for Back to the Future. Also in the UK, one, Mike? Uh, go, on, go on, Jason, hit me with it. How, how about this one? Uh, what if I'm going to New Zealand and I want to keep watching the new season of Star Trek Picard on Paramount Plus exactly. in the US? Perfect. The answer is I can do that with ExpressVPN. Let me tell you, Jason, it's so easy. All you need to do is just open the app with one click, choose the country that you want Netflix to think you're in and refresh. Perfect. There are so many reasons to choose ExpressVPN. It has blazing fast speeds. You can stream in HD with zero buffering. It's compatible with all your devices, your phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. They have servers in 94 different countries. You can gain access to thousands of new shows. Or, as Jason pointed out, when you're away, the show's in the, your home, like Netflix, your yeah. home, Paramount, whatever. Bring me home. It works with so many services. You can stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to some of the content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash upgrade. And don't forget to use this link, expressvpn, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash upgrade to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for the support of this show and Relay FM. Services got a B-plus grade at a 3.8 average, which is an increase over last year, but still not hitting the highs of the four in 2020. Where would you put it? I'll give it a four. Okay. I think that, I remember when Apple was bad at services. I think Apple's actually pretty good at services. I'm an Apple One bundle person. Yep. Uh, it saved me money. And uh, yeah, I know they're very raised their prices and all that, but like, I feel like I get a lot of value after the out of the Apple One bundle especially you know iCloud and music and TV plus but the rest of it too and it's uh yeah I I I think they're doing a pretty good job I I think my questions about services are more about the company as a whole relying on services uh, than I am about uh the actual services where I think they actually do a pretty good job this is an easy five for me um so many of my favorite TV shows of last year came from TV plus right so like Severance for all mankind, uh, loads. I'm Severance, my favorite show of last year, and yep. it's an Apple TV Plus show. That's pretty mm -hmm. good. And I will say this doesn't count, but I will add it. And uh, if you're not watching Shrinking, oh, it's so good. Oh my god, I love I saw, it. Somebody sent this to me on Mastodon, and it's true. Like it's, it's like Ted Lasso good, like in the way it makes me feel. Like mm -hmm. it is. Hilarious. It's got similarities. It, yeah. it definitely does. I, w I wanted to mention also, actually, my favorite movie of last year um, was uh, Tragedy of Macbeth. That's a Washington. Yes. That's a that's a TV Plus movie. So I got the upgrade, uh, didn't it? They, they got the yeah. They got the they got the uh, they got the two for last year. Pretty good content on that that TV Plus. So yeah. Uh, by the way, just to to save the follow up, I know that we know that shrinking is 
Ted Lasso made, basically, right? Like yes. Brett Goldstein. Yeah, you don't need that. to tell us Brett Goldstein yeah. and Will Lawrence are mm-hmm. the ones behind Shrinking. That's why it's got a little bit of that vibe. Harrison it's not the Ford same. is in it, and Harrison Ford, <sighs> hilarious. Right, but I laugh Siegel out loud. Is just incredible, it's so good. I laugh out loud at every episode of Shrinking. Yeah, and you know what? There are not that many comedies that make me laugh out loud. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's. I really enjoy so it. So good, but that's not what we're talking about here today. Uh, Stephen Hacker said, after years and years of begging, users of iCloud Photos have finally had their cries answered in the form of family sharing. It's true. That's a big win. That that's definitely in the favor of Apple services that iCloud uh, Photos, which is already pretty solid now, added that family sharing feature at long last. Again, do we reward them for doing a feature that they should have done six years ago? Probably, I guess, a little bit. But you know, yeah, it's now that it's here, it's good. Uh, Casey Liss, he's back again. Says, uh, I don't Who? like that. I feel like they're just nickeling and diming all their customers to death. It seems like everything new must have a services component, or it never sees the light of day. Well, this is the this is the other part of it, right? Which is, mm-hmm. uh, do you judge Apple services based on the services they offer or based on what they're doing to the company's uh, approach to products? And Casey took the other approach. One of the beauties of the report card is it is in the eye of the beholder. It really is, um, what do you think of this open-ended question? Uh, I personally didn't heavily consider that in this category because I don't think that that's, I, like, I don't think the fault of the services, but... Who else are you going to blame, I guess? Exactly. I, I, I do think that there is this real question, which is Apple... I, I, I worry about Apple trying to generate services revenue by creating products that are not useful or that are useful and should have been part of the product but were withheld and made part of the service. And they haven't done that so much but the I, I'm concerned that as they go down this path, we're going to get more of that stuff where they you you're no longer buying a whole product when you buy an Apple product. You're buying a, a an expensive, nice Apple product that you also need to pay a lot of money in add-on services for it to do what you want. And I think that down that path uh, is uh, could potentially be really bad for the company long term. But on the flip side, Federico Cavatici says, I'm very happy with Apple's expansion as a services company in the past few years. In fact, I hope Apple does even more and continues to grow in this field. <laughs> sure. They just need to do it right and yeah. not do it bad. Like Because the stuff that they've done this good is so good, right? Yeah. No, the only one that gave me pause at all was some of the privacy stuff that they said you've got to be an iCloud Plus user to get on like the iPhone. Mm. Um, their, their, some of their IP hiding mail privacy like there's some stuff where like you've got to pay them to get an os feature it doesn't really seem that that stuff works very well (laughs) yeah that's that's the stuff that gives me the heebie-jeebies though right like that's the stuff where i feel like we are now sort of saying would you like your phone to work better um pay us and i don't know like privacy features are private like i i can get it when they're like well yeah but we have to set up a whole network of services and it costs us servers and it costs us money and like yes i totally understand it and yet it gives me just like it's like wait a second i feel like we're we're if we haven't crossed the line we're like right on the line now of you selling incomplete products that must be completed through services and that's the danger not what federico says which is do more services that are great like if apple can make more services that are great like apple tv plus uh, let's like bring it on. Let's yeah, do it if those exist. Whatever those would be, or fitness need servers need, need, need yeah. like uh servers, but they don't charge for them, right? Notes, messages, remind, like you know, you don't just because there is a cost doesn't mean they have to charge you, right? 
but sometimes they choose to. It's true. Mm-hmm. Home kit and home got a D plus. It's a two point seven out of five, which is exactly level with where it was in twenty twenty one. What would you rate the home efforts? I'm gonna give it a two. Okay. And and uh, these are my two data points that I'm gonna throw out there. One is I got a home key lock this year, and home key is great. And I'm so happy that Apple built that. And I'm so happy that products are rolling out that have home key support in it. Because it means that instead of the weird Bluetooth stuff that we used to do, I can walk up to my front door and touch my Apple Watch to the face of the lock and it unlocks. And Mm -hmm. Lauren can do that too. And Julian can do that with his phone when he's home. And Jamie can do that with her phone when she's home because they don't have Apple Watches. Um, That's so great. And the old... The old smart lock just wasn't reliable because it was Bluetooth and I have to see you go and then you come back and then, uh, you know, uh, you wait and maybe it unlocks or maybe you have to put the code in or whatever. HomeKey, great little feature, part of HomeKit, uh, really nice. I like it. Then my ne- my second point is everything else. But if I had to, if I had to boil it down, <laughs> it would be this, which is Apple is, and, and all of the people on the panel said this. Apple is in essentially in stasis because they are waiting for Matter. Matter got delayed. Matter's ro- Matter is now out, but it's not really. Apple's support of Matter isn't out. Of course, famously, they tried to do this underlying architecture change late last year. They had to stop rolling it out because something bad happened and they were like breaking people's houses again. Uh, so that's the problem here is I actually have a lot of hope in the smart home category for Apple, because I do think matter is made to address a lot of the issues we have with HomeKit. The problem is it's just not here. Like it has been so slow, not only for the products to come out, but for Apple's support for it to come out. So maybe 2023 will be the year that Apple gets it together because matter, it becomes a thing and it solves a lot of these problems. But right now this was a whole year where we waited around for matter and it never showed up. Yeah. As Shirley Brisbane said, the matter transition continues to be rough and will hopefully work itself out in 2023. <laughs> yeah. Like this, I gave mine a two as well. Cause it's like, really there was two things that they did. Like they did a redesign of the home app, which was like fine. Like it's fine. And the matter rollout, which I don't even know. It is unclear exactly what went wrong, but it went wrong enough that they had to redo it. Um, and I just think, in general, the product offering is uninspiring. Like the actual hardware, the home hardware that Apple make and sell is just not really great. Well, and and they make and they make so little of it. And this is the this is the other point too, right? Which is what's Apple doing in this category? They 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 we now have a, a second big HomePod, and we have the existing HomePod. Uh, or HomePod Mini, um, so they've got those, but like they're they missed the boat in a bunch of categories. Are they going to come back? Or are they not? Uh, does Matter give them the opportunity to say, "Oh no, everything works with our stuff now, and it's all great"? It's sort of like it. It's been the mystery. We've talked about it for several years now. It is this mystery of Apple's home strategy. What is it, and does it exist? It seems to exist in some way because they've got the HomePod and the Apple TV and HomeKit, and yet it there's very little tangible evidence of it and and matter was the biggest thing to come along and it's still not here hardware reliability got an a at 4.5 which has maintained this score for the last three years probably because of the keyboards (laughs) i'm assuming yeah uh what do you think on that yeah i think that's about it um uh, yeah like hardware reliability sure i'll say I'll say five. 
sure. Uh, th- this is a this is a place. Apple's doing great here. I have not personally had any hardware problems. Um, the hardware problems have been, or the hardware has been solid. Uh, everybody's happy with Apple Silicon and happy that there are no butterfly keyboards anymore. And I'd go along with that. I feel mm-hmm. feel like this is Apple's strength right now is that their hardware is just churning along. Yeah. I was a five too. It's just like, I don't really have anything to say. Everything's great. No issues here. Right. Um, I like what Steven said, which like users can also get their own parts now through the self-service repair program. Like not only is are there no issues, you now have even more ways to fix these things, even if maybe yep. you wouldn't realistically, but it's a good showing at least from them that they're continuing to put more effort into this area. Software quality got a B minus at 3.4. That is the same score as last year. Where would you rate Apple's software quality out of five? Um, uh, this one has one. so much bundled into it. Like it's a it's a complicated one. I think to score. Yeah, I'm gonna say three because my. The, the quality of the software I'm running is pretty good in the in the ways of like do does it let me do my job does it crash does it get weird and the answer is not so much right and like the Mac especially I feel like the the update was not a an update that introduced a bunch a bunch of problems in terms of stability however the reason it's only a three is there's the rest of it right there's that there's the uh, especially that system preferences app on the Mac, which again just was a mistake. Um, I I think there is this lingering concern about the Mac and like is it stagnating and what's going on with Swift UI and are, you know are, what's the future of software on the Mac and is it web apps or is it iOS apps or is it Mac apps or do we know? Um, but you know. I, I think that there are some lingering concerns and there's some stupid moves that they've done. And yet day to day, um, my Mac and my iPad, and my iPhone actually work pretty well. I gave it a three stage manager was a, it could have been so great, right? Like just in general, I use it and like it on my Mac. I want to love it on my Mac and I want to want to use it on my iPad. Uh, I feel like this this one of those things where this happens every couple of years during the keynote, WWC keynote, they show off a thing and it's like, oh my God, they've done it. And then you get it and you're like, oh no, they didn't, right? Like once you've actually spent some time with it and I feel like this is it. However, you know, I am a person who happily uses stage manager on, on macOS all day, every day. And I'm, I work with it and around it, and it works for me. DaVinci Hardware agrees. It says, it's very nice to see Apple change up its multitasking philosophy with Stage Manager. David Sparks says, it's becoming increasingly clear that Apple is turning up the dial on their productivity software. Notes, then reminders, and now mail are increasingly feeling more powerful and useful. This year, we got another entry with Freeform. And John Gruber says, I still have the same concerns about the direction of Apple's software design that I did last year, especially on the Mac. But I think the software reliability has been excellent. I think that's a good point, right? You look at something like like macOS, it's great overall, right? But then you've got system settings, which is rough. It's every time I open it, I'm like, I don't know where anything is. Like, I always have searched, but there were a bunch of things where I didn't. You know, like what I something I had to do uh, last week, Jason. I, I had a um, 
I was having an issue with my wire connection in the studio, but there is like a kind of private, semi-private public Wi-Fi that I would connect to when if I was trying, I was waiting for something to be fixed on my Ethernet switch. Mm-hmm. And so I had to reorder the priority of Ethernet and Wi-Fi. It's like buried under like three menus. <laughs> it's like, why, why is it so hard? You know, like I know where that used to be. I would go to network. But like I've opened it now and like, I, it's like, okay, network. And then it's under a, there is a, a button, which is three dots and an arrow pointing down. Right? What, mm-hmm. is, what kind of button is that? The button is three dots. It's a mystery button. And then you hit that button, and then you can get the set service order. But what is a button that is just three dots? It, it, I guess it means more? But why not say more, right? Like this, what, what is a three-dot button, you know? Stuff like that. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I called out the... Um, the the Wi-Fi is a good example of that, where there's like these things like they've got an advanced button it's like wh- why is the advanced? it's like we want to hide this stuff from you but some of it we'll put there but some of it we won't it, it, there's so many inconsistencies in so many different places um but yeah the, the in the networking that three dot button is is bananas right but that's that, that's the they put back the the locations um and the set service order but why does that one not say advanced in the wi-fi it says advanced down there and that one it just says dot 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 with a drop down. And and like, well, I mean, look, I I I wrote about this for several thousand words this summer, and the short yeah. version of it of it is Apple's a big company. They've got a bunch of people who they employ uh to do things like style guides and software architecture. And it feels like this is a project that didn't even get supervision in terms of like organizational structure and style guides. Mm-hmm. Like somebody should be saying, here's what these buttons, here's the rules for when you use this and when you use that. And that app does not show any evidence that that happened. And if, right. if there was somebody who was trying to do that, nobody listened to them. Um, because this is an app that needs a style guide. It needs information architecture. It needs organizational structure. I could go on, and I did all summer, so I'm going to leave it there. It's a mess. Developer Relations got a C-, which is a 2.8 score, which is the same as last year. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking at first, I was like, oh, I thought it would have been lower than last year, but then I remember the year prior was when there was all that stuff with, like, hey, right? was yeah. getting it's and there were a lot of issues around just like app store approval and then there was they was like there to do a dog and pony show on that one change a bunch of rules uh where would you uh write developer relations for 2022 torn between a two and a three i think i'm gonna give it a two okay i appreciate that apple has done some things to improve their relationship with developers uh like the developer center and everything else that they did for wwdc uh, and having developers come to WWDC. And I think that that is a great event that, um, th- and the, the sessions they put out are great. Like there's so many positive things about that. Um, and that I like that we continue, you know, a lot of people we know are small developers who fall under their small business thing and means that Apple is only taking 15% and not 30% from them. And that continues to be good. And yet I have to say everything else is so bad that it's gotten to the point where like, okay. And we have friends who worked on this, but like, let's talk about that developer center, which is a beautiful building located across the street from Apple park. 
And we were in it, or sorry, I was in it for an episode of Upgrade. <laughs> Why? You were not. Why would you do sorry. this? We, you were, you the were there virtually. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I, I know, it. I know, I know. <laughs> I, and I've been inside it, uh, and a bunch of us were inside it. Um, and <laughs> some and then, some some healthy you. people were inside. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Um, okay. Let me just let me just I, I, this. I'm trying to make a serious point here, so let I me know. make it. I appreciate all the work that went into it and all the effort that went into it, and I don't doubt that those people really want to have the people who work in developer relations really want to have great. It's their job. They want to have great relationships with developers. And yet with all that other stuff that's going on, it's very hard for me to not look at that and ultimately just say, it's a PR ploy. Like I I just, it's gotten to that point now where when I look at Apple doing nice things for developers, I can't look at it as being anything and it was always a little bit of that, but like now as anything other than kind of greenwashing, right? Kind of saying, oh, no, 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 look, look, don't regulate us. We actually do care. We are doing the, look at all, look at what we do voluntarily um, while they're getting squeezed by regulators and uh, threatened by uh, politicians in the US and, and, and elsewhere. The reason the scores, I think, stayed so low this year in the Six Color Survey is this happened not too long after they rolled out that ad unit on app store app pages that was full of gambling ads and other really gross stuff. And as I said at the time, but I want to repeat it here, the issue isn't just the advertising. The issue is also that that app page is the only place that developers have are allowed to have a relationship really with their users in the app store because of all of Apple's other rules where Apple wants you to think of yourself as an Apple customer, not the customer of a third-party developer. Third-party developers can't communicate with those uh, users via email or anything like that or offer things. There's all sorts of things or links to their website or anything like that because again, it's all controlled by Apple. And so on t- it was really like the most unkind cut of all it was the it was it was that that they were then putting a, a a sleazy ad on that page. Yep. And then we can look at everything we've detailed on this podcast in terms of Apple. Every time Apple is doing something to add a, a tool to the developer's toolbox, it's something that developers have wanted for more than a decade that Apple has steadfastly refused. And when they do offer it, it is either because they realize they're going to be forced to, or they are forced to. And those are the, those are the options. So it's just a tough situation. When I talk to people who I know who are Apple developers, like I I feel like the hope is gone in a lot of ways. Uh, There used to be hope that Apple would kind of get to this and change its mind and all of that. I think the only hope that remains now is the hope that external forces basically demand that Apple change its ways because I think everybody is sort of resigned over the last year. Apple statements in various cases. It seems to me Apple has hardened its resolve that the stuff that it does that uh, that bothers developers is actually right and what they should be doing and the developers should like it and take it. And uh, I, I don't know, waiting for the you know the EU or something to to sweep in and demand that Apple give developers more rights that that's like, that's what they're left with now. And it just, it seems like a completely dysfunctional relationship that um, if you want to view it as entirely a transactional relationship, a financial relationship, I mean, that's what it feels like at this point. And it certainly feels like that by the other part of this, which is Apple's claims that they have to have the app store be exclusive because it's a well-monitored area uh, full of 
uh, you know, that they're curating and all of that. Because the truth is that there's all sorts of awful stuff that stays in there seemingly because of the financial transactional relationship of uh, between Apple and those developers of sleazy apps. Uh, Apple wants the money. And so they stay in the store. And then there's also, you know, other scam apps. And and it's just like the App Store isn't a clean, well-lighted, carefully curated place. And so that directly contradicts all of their claims. So yeah, I think I think at this point, Apple no longer receives any benefit of the doubt, not from me and not from developers when it comes to this stuff. I think they've shown their true face and their true face is, uh, you know, show me the money, <laughs> do what I say, and we won't change our ways uh, even if the, even if we think that they're, you know, even if they're wrong, even if you think they're wrong, we don't, <laughs> we won't change our ways. You're going to have to make us. And that's a tough partner to have if you're a developer. I want to read a quote from John Syracuse's answer. Apple seems to merely tolerate developers and developers continue to yep. mostly tolerate Apple, but too yep. much <laughs> has been said and done to damage the relationship. Apple's reflexive expressions of love for developers now ring hollow Developers' complaints continue to fall on deaf ears. The only thing that seems to move Apple at all is the threat of government regulation. Yep. I always want to give them a one in this category. And I know. That's kind of where I feel. But for me, I gave them a three because of WWDC. I think there are people that care, and the care that those people have was shown during the week of WWDC sure. this year in the S if what they did for people that couldn't make it or didn't want to travel and what they did for the people that did travel. Um, and, and I think that that was good. I think that's the shame of it, right? Is that, is that we know people at Apple who care a lot about developers. It's undeniably the case. And yet at a higher level within Apple, you know, they will still do what they're doing. And that's because at a higher level within Apple, they've decided these are the policies. And so what you end up with is a bunch of people at lower levels who are saying, look, we know what the policies are, but we love you. And at least we care about you. And it's just a very difficult dynamic because I, I don't doubt those people. Those mm -hmm. people are, that's their job is to do that. I just, I feel now my attitude toward it has been that those people essentially are there in order to have have the people at the higher levels being able to point at them and say, see, we care about developers. And it's like, well, they care about developers, but the decisions you're making, person who's pointing at them, I'm not so sure about you, right? So that's where we are, unfortunately. Yep. I, and, and you know, Mike, I, I know we this is stuff, this is basically another year in review and Apple overview episode that we're doing here. We talk about this week to week. But like, the, I think maybe our biggest frustration about this is it didn't have to be this way, right? That that Apple could have could have come out with a little bit of a different attitude and then they wouldn't be facing the scrutiny. They wouldn't have the anger. But like, Instead, they chose the path, which was, no, we are going to fight every battle. We're never going to relinquish control. We're never going to give uh, leave a dollar on the table. And that they they chose this path. And that's really too bad because for 10 years, a bunch of us have been waving our arms saying, don't do this, don't do this. And, you know, they, they have chosen in many ways uh, some of the most extreme uh, choices along the way. So it's too bad. It's not like this is a 2022 problem. Right. None, none of this is new. <laughs> this, I mean, this started when the App Store started, yeah. really, and, yeah. and and has gone on. And they've reformed some of those issues. And again, like, give it, it's ones. not a little thing to go, that small business program is not a little thing uh, to, to to let the smaller developers only 
um, give Apple 15%. Like that, that's not a small thing. That's had a huge impact yep. on some of those smaller developers, but all these other issues remain. And then when, when they have come in lawsuits or other things to public areas, they, you know, they've decided that their strategy is going to be, we're right. And we're going to take it all the way. And you're going to have to make us. And even then we're only going to follow the letter of the law. It's like, okay, all right. And then finally, social and societal... Oh, I said I gave a three for that one. I don't remember. Developer relations, I gave a three. Yep. Social and societal impact. Because a B minus, an average of 3.4, which is a slight increase over last year, but still down on some of the heady days of the four points that we've gotten here. Uh, out of five, how would you rank Apple's social and societal impact? I, I don't even know how to answer this one. Right? Oh, like I, I'm... F- I'm fascinated by this category because the whole idea here is uh, Apple says it wants to make the world a better place. How's it doing? It's sort of the way that I did this. And also remember when I started this in early 2016, asking about 2015, um, or maybe it was late 2015, asking about 2015, I, um, you know, there was stuff in the news about Apple in China and Apple with environmental concerns and like, and that stuff, like the issues ebb and flow and change over time but there's always this idea that apple is out there saying look we're making the world a better place and uh if you're gonna like a company that didn't do that i don't know if i would ask about it but like they brought it up (laughs) so how do we feel about apple making the world a better place and in a lot of ways like environmentally i think that they actually have made a lot of progress um, they they seem to be spending a lot of effort getting more and more of the materials they use, especially you know not just aluminum where they're you know most of their stuff is becoming recycled aluminum, but they're trying to do that with the rare earth minerals and they they're really trying to reclaim things from out of their um, out of their older products uh, that get turned back in. Although I know that you could make the point that if they really really cared, they could also boost what they pay yep. for old products to get yep. them back. This is they, my they... saber rattling on this one. Like I think Apple's trade in, this is, I gave them a three. And for me, like, I think the social and societal impact one is like a litmus test for the, whatever thing is that someone cares about the most, maybe more than any of these other ones. Cause it is so broad for me. I just feel like Apple took such a big game over the environment, but the amount of money that they offer for trade ins is smaller than, you know other companies that will also buy your devices back right and i feel like considering they have the most to gain over the reclaiming of these products and also the most money in the first place that they should offer a higher amount right like if it goes back to apple apple can either sell it on or recycle the parts which they use to make more iphones that they sell to you and if you give a good trading credit you'll buy another iphone you won't take that cash and spend it on something else and then you'll be still back in the ecosystem giving apple more money on all their services they should be offering more money for trade-ins than anybody else but they offer so much lower money on trade-ins than than independent companies that want to buy your devices and i don't understand it so it bugs me. Stephen Hackett says, Apple continues to do important work in the areas of environmental com- uh, conservation and social, but the back and forth over its return to office plans and its willingness to look the other way in China continue to be troublesome, if not downright hypocritical. Shelley Brisbane says, Apple's accessibility updates this year were pretty good, as was Apple's much-appreciated decision to uh, feature accessibility-related announcements in a context of their own. 
And Lex Friedman says, seeing Tim go on walks with Elon isn't quite as aggravating as seeing Tim bend the knee to Donald Trump. But until and unless Apple can decouple itself from China, all the recyclable elements in the world won't negate its overall societal weaknesses. There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot going on and everybody yep. brings their own their own thoughts to it. Yep. Um, I think it's interesting that Apple is now trying to not rely on China quite so much. But again, I think the issue there is more about the, their survival than their feeling like they don't want to be in business with China, right? Like that's not, it's not the same. So yeah, I, I appreciate... Uh, I appreciate this category every year because really, really uh, what I'm doing is it's a fill in the blank of like, what you, do you think Apple is making the world a better place or no explain, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and, and you end up getting this kind of vibe. I'll point out that this, this number has come down. Um, the trend is downward, even though it went up slightly this year, the trend general trend is downward. So I think that over the time the it's almost lost a full point of average on the panel. So I would say, people's feelings about whether Apple is making the world a better place in in 2015 were a lot more positive than they are in 2023. The more you say it, the harder it is to actually do it. Jason, thank you for putting together the scorecard again. I think this is a valuable resource in our community. I know it's a lot of work, but it is greatly appreciated. It's, you know, I get to generate some charts. I got to put some numbers in some spreadsheets and I get to read you know, tens of thousands of words uh-huh. from people who submitted tens of thousands of words. I, I want to point out that what I what I tell people is not don't you dare write long responses, right? <laughs> which is I think how Steven took it. Which is and by the way, it's great. There's a, I need to do a link post today about uh all the people who posted their results. Cause like the people who wrote a lot, I edited it down and th- thought, well, you can just post your results on your own website if you want to. And I know Federico did and Steven did and John Gruber did. Um, that, that is true. Uh, I, I love that. Um, the reason I say that is because there was one year early on where Christina Warren wrote like full blog posts essentially for every one of the categories. And I was like, Christina, I can't, use this. And so now what, what it's doing is it's not like, cause I, I listened to connected last week and Steven's like, uh, I made Jason mad by sending him a lot of words. It's like, <laughs> you know, I don't mind reading them. I just edit them down. It does cause me a little bit of work, but that's not the issue. The, the reason I say what I say when I send that out is that it eliminates my guilt when I cut their responses, right? That that's the, look, I told you, I didn't need you to write a lot. And that if you wrote, wrote a lot, I would cut them. Um, so that's, that's how that ends up, but it's great to read them. And then I cut a lot of them and, uh, I, it's, it's a fun idea. It wasn't mine. Uh, Koi Vin, the designer suggested this to me in 2015 and he said, somebody should do this. Maybe it's you. And I said, sure, let's do it. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a good thing. I like, again, what does it tell us? I, I think is the overarching question. And I think the answer is, I'm just trying to get the sense of the vibe in the room. I it really is that, which is like, what's the mood? of people who pay attention to Apple right now. What's their mood about Apple's business in various categories? Is it better? Is it worse? What are they concerned about? And I think that's the value of it is just sort of getting that sense of how's everybody feeling? What are the hot spots? What are the, you know, spots where Apple's doing great? And you know, that I think that's the I think that's the value of it and it's it's uh, worth doing. 
This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Fitbond. This is a time of year when many of us think about changing our fitness plans. So I'm pleased to tell you that Fitbond is both an easy and affordable way to build a fitness plan that's just for you. Now, why is that important? Why do you want something that's just for you? Well, personal fitness shouldn't be about competing with other people. You want something that is for you because that's when it's going to work for you. It's when it will stick and you'll see the results that you're looking for. So Fitbond does this. They have an algorithm that learns about you and your goals and your training ability to create a custom dynamic program based on your experience and access to equipment, all in an app that makes it incredibly easy for you to learn and perform every exercise. They have over 1,400 HD video tutorials shot from multiple angles to make sure that learning every exercise is a breeze. And because everybody's fitness path is different, Fitbod will use data to make sure they customize things to suit you exactly. Their powerful technology understands your strength training ability, it studies your past workouts, and adapts to the equipment that you have. Your training plan will maximize fitness gains by intelligently varying intensity and volume between sessions. I love Fitbod. There's a few things that I love about it. I love the videos because it makes it really easy for me to learn every exercise. So if I'm doing something new, I can see how, how they look and from the different angles to make sure that I'm positioning my body right for the strength training stuff. Um, and also, I love how it integrates with my Apple Watch. So I can move through, I can adjust reps and sets there if I want to, if I want to do more or less or something. And also, if there's exercises that I know, like I can see what the exercise is, and if I know what it is, I can just do it. But then if I need the video, then I'll go and look at my phone and get the video so I don't have to have my phone in front of me the whole time while I'm working out. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but Fitbod is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year, but you can get a massive 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash upgrade. That is quite a chunk of an annual plan. Go now and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash upgrade and you will get 25% off your membership. That is fitbod.me slash upgrade to get that 25% discount. Our thanks to Fitbod for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's finish up today with some Ask Upgrade questions. First comes from Austin, who asks, how do you listen to podcast live streams? Are there any certain apps or services that you use for this? Broadcast by Steve Trouton Smith. It's That's in the, the App one. Store. Works on the Mac, works on the iPad, works on the iPhone, works on the Apple Watch. I actually listen uh, to Connected live on Wednesdays while walking my dog. Amazing. Uh, and I'm only listening on the cellular Apple Watch. I don't bring my phone with me using AirPods. It's great. Yeah, that I mean, that is the way the to experience do it. is great. Connected, yeah. you know, it, it comes and goes, but the experience is I great. can't believe Broadcast. it. I can't believe it. You know, can you imagine that you would say this directly to my ears? You never you never hear such a thing. Uh you can listen in a bunch of ways, websites. Like we have the way the way that broadcast works is that there are live there are URLs available, right? So you can listen with the URL to like the relay live stream, like what we're doing now. Um, the ATP live stream and others. Um, there are certain, like we have pipe, that's the URL that pipes into our Discord, but that can be a semi reliable experience in the Discord. Like we recommend people check out broadcasts because Steve Transmiss is awesome. The app is great. It's really nice and is a great way to listen to this stuff. 
Roy wrote in and says, Your conversation about Maggie Rogers last month had me re-listening to Surrender, and I wondered, do either of you have a, do you have like first listen headphones? The convenience of AirPods means they're with me 100% of the time, and I find myself listening to albums for the first time through them. I wonder if you consider song fidelity when listening to something for the first time on AirPods, especially from an artist that you like a lot. So Jason, do you have like a rule of thumb for listening to an album for the first time? Is it headphones, is it speakers? Do you have specific hardware that you like to listen to it on? Uh, sorry to disappoint everybody. No, I don't. You don't, have, I mean, but I think that's an interesting question in and of itself, right? Like Roy wants to know, like, do you, do you consider it? And so, no. The only thing I consider when I'm listening to a new album is, am I going to be able to pay attention to it or not? Right? Because okay. like, most of my music listening that happens is at my desk and I have the Sonos one speakers and I play music while I work Yep, because I play music that's familiar enough that unless I'm, unless I'm writing, in which case I might go to some specific playlists in general, I just got the music on and it's fine. And so if I'm working on something deeply, a new album from an artist that I love coming out and me playing it, I'm not going to be able to work on anything deeply because I'm going to need to pay attention. So either yeah. I'm going to press play and listen and essentially not work, <laughs> or I'm going to go, you know, I, you know, I'll listen to it later in a different setting. And that might be AirPods or it might be in my living room. Uh, who knows what on the, on the speakers, the 5.1 system I have in my living room. I mean, maybe, uh, or, but I've also had it happen where it's been like in the car, because I'm driving somewhere and the new album came out and I'm listening to it in the car and you're like, oh, but the fidelity and it's like, yes, but the complete attention put on the album is the contrast there, right? Like it, it part, would I rather listen on amazing headphones, but not pay attention <laughs> or listen on car speakers and pay attention? And the answer is the latter, right? I, I, I think the attention is part of it, partially because I owe it to that album to listen to it and pay attention, but also because I know if it's something that's unfamiliar, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay attention to something else and have it playing in the background because that's not how my brain works. I need, I need it to be somewhat familiar for me to be able to kind of like um, not pay attention to every word that's going on. I am pretty similar to you. Like if it's the first time that I'm listening to an album, I will want to listen to it in a way that I can give more attention to it so I can listen to the lyrics and stuff like that and try and kind of get a sense of it a little yes. bit more than to just put it on in the background. But then once I know it, I'm happy to have, just have it on more. I've also found that sometimes I appreciate an album much more on second, third, fourth listen yes. and that, that in some ways it's better for me to process it a little bit first and then listen to it sitting in my living room with mm -hmm. the volume up high mm -hmm. sometimes but i don't have a ritual for it and i don't have special headphones for it or anything like that i do i always do like to check if an album's in uh special audio like the dolby atmos because i do I, I am a person who really enjoys that experience so if that's the case then i will also want to make sure that i'm listening on my airpods pro uh for that which tend to be how i listen to music when i'm not at home anyway uh, Liam asks, do you have any hidden home screen pages? Do you hide home screen pages? No. I have lots of them for various focus modes. So I have like travel home screens. I have weekend home screens. Uh, what else I have? Uh, yeah, travel and weekend and like vacation. 
home screens, like there's specific apps and widgets that turn on and off dependent on focus modes. So I actually use that feature quite a lot and I'm happy that they added it because then I get to have a bunch of very specific home screens for very specific times. So yes, I have loads of them. Nice. If you would like to send in a question of your own, the best place to go is upgradefeedback.com and you can send an ask upgrade question. Very soon, there's going to be the ability for you to tag a, a s- submission. It's just like follow up or ask Yay. upgrade or snail talk. It's coming very, very soon. Um, maybe even the next couple of weeks. So that's super awesome. But you can just send them in however you like and they all go into a bucket and I read it all and we'll put things in for follow-up and questions and stuff like that. It's not a real bucket. It's like a just a list in the CMS. It's not uh, an actual bucket. It all goes into a bucket, believe it or not. I print them all out, cut them up, put them in a bucket and that's how and I How big is the, the bucket? It's like a five big five-gallon bucket? Huge. I have to keep getting a new bucket because there's so many questions. You should you should empty it. You should take those and like recycle them. Oh, there's so, just I, that I'm many, Jason. It's just I'm questioning your commitment to the environment now, by the way. It's 100% recycled paper. That's recycled again. All right. You can check out Jason's writing at sixcolors.com and hear his podcast at theincomparable.com and here on Relay FM. You can listen to me here on Relay FM. Check out my work at cortexbrand.com. You can send your feedback and questions to us at upgradefeedback.com. Thank you to our members who support us with Upgrade Plus. Today, we're going to play a game of Marvel Snap during Upgrade Plus, and we're going to make a video of it and put it in the show notes for Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com and sign up if that is of interest to you. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors for this week's episode, Fitbod, ExpressVPN, and Ladder. But most of all, thank you for listening. I'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, everybody. Take care of the podcast while I'm gone. See you in a few weeks. Bye!